On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Osiris. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Loyalty, described as, do you care? And I care, and that's why I'm on this show. Comes a time, here we go. <laughs> I'm a sucker for O'Teal, man. It's all that same feeling that I have, that what he filled a void that I didn't even know existed. It feels so good to, as Ben said, to try to do something about an issue as opposed to complaining. If you can't help, don't hurt. If we could just all get out there and throw cream puffs at each other, maybe things would, instead of bullets and, and <laughs> angry words, it would be better. When you stop laughing, you stop living. There's a worldwide surge in interest in mushrooms. It was deep, man. It's not that TM makes your mind quiet down there. It already is. We're just stuck up here. We've lost access. I'm jumping Jack Flash. Came out by the stones. So I thought, all right, perfect, man. I'm gonna drive, and I started driving through the neighborhood, and I got, I got a text from Mick Jagger. <laughs> People saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. It wasn't like they were clapping from here. Is they were clapping from here. My view of things is that death, death is the last and best reward for a life well lived. Like you gotta, it's the strangest of places if you look at it right, you know? If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's O'Teal. And that's Mike, dude. How psyched are you for Dick's Colorado? Stoked. Going Colorado tomorrow to see fish and then Friday, Saturday doing shows in Fort Collins and then going to Rocky Mountain National Park, hanging with my little bro and my nephew. Can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So yeah. yeah, very, very excited. Good way to... I get, We're in September already, dude. It's cre- <laughs> I texted you the other day. I'm like, I can't believe it. Like It's September. It's summertime it, came and went. Wow. There's something that uh, my old buddy Jeep 
told me about the passage of time, like, you know, when you're two, a year is half your life. When you're 50, a year is of, so it's like the roll of toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) So it only gets worse, man. That's all I could say. I look at Nigel and I'm like, he's like, dad, put me up on your shoulders. I'm like, Jesus, you're like, you're too big for this now. Ow. It's just like, wow, it's so fast, man. But it's good. Speaking of the passage, speaking of the passage of time, we had uh, our guest today, captured many of the most important moments in uh, our scene. We had the one and only, the omnipotent Jay Blakesburg on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. The, the best. He's the best. Yeah. He's, he's got a new, uh, he's got a museum exhibit with a museum that's well actually deserved. part of the Smithsonian. Yeah. So from, like he said, I went from the uh, stoner, you know, loser slash least likely to, uh, most likely to not succeed in school, <laughs> you know, to, well, he did a short thing in prison, but then he triumphs. Yeah. Hey, we all, <laughs> we all trip up. Yeah. No, but this is so great. Like to the Smithsonian, that's cool. And wow. How many great stories. I don't think we can even, no. we might have to cut this into a couple episodes. Man. I mean, in all, and in so all honesty, you could just tell just by having him on from the get go, he's a professional. He's just a professional oh, yeah. at everything he does. And he was a professional. He interviewed himself basically i mean it's <laughs> not awesome it's not his first rodeo yeah no. he makes it real easy for us and yeah and it's cool to just like get into tangents and we didn't even get, i didn't even get to ask him i would have loved to have known what it was like to work on this project with his daughter you know like yeah. just working together and like i'm so fascinated by uh parent child projects you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I really like like Graham and Phil playing together fascinates me. Um, a you lot know, of I try that. not to put that pressure on my kids, but you can't help like, you know, yeah. and I don't put that pressure on them, but you can't help but hope like, but you know, however it shakes out, it's beautiful. It's yeah. uh, it's really beautiful. And his daughter, he trusted her because she was like, you know, I want you, I want this book to reach not like just your age level people. I want it to reach my age level. And so he, she was like, what did he say? It was like four photos I had to really fight for. Fight for. <laughs> you know? yeah. She was like, no. <laughs> so, But that's so cool to like give her the reins and be like, you drive the car and it's my life. Yeah. That hunk of my, you know. All yeah. the film, it's only film. It's no digital. Well, and that's an incredible gift to give his daughter, like that, that, yeah. that trust and faith and stuff. And she obviously knocked it out of the park. If you follow Retro Blakesburg, you know, she's killing, killing it. And it. Yeah, yeah. What a cool project <laughs> and what a cool guy and cool dad and all that. So Jay, he got her to curate the uh, museum too, right? Yeah. Didn't he say that? I be- well, yeah, I think so. Exhibit. I think so. Well, that's yeah. That's cool. So now she's a museum, a Smithsonian curator at twenty five, six, whatever. So killing it. But uh, thank you, Jay. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We're here on Osiris, home to great podcasts at OsirisPod.com. You can check those out. And if you want more of us, go to Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod for a bonus episode every week. And at the end of this podcast, you can hear all of the places that you can find all of Jay's work. So please check it out. I believe Blakesburg.com. Tenth book. Did he say tenth book or six? I think he said 10th. Some, I was blown away. I, I think it was 10th book or 16th. Something that happens when 30 years goes by. Taking a snap, 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 snap. Yeah. Way to go. 
Stay safe, everybody. Take care of each other. And uh, we'll see you on the flip. Live long and prosper. That'll be the name of the episode. <laughs> yeah, now that's a podcast I'd listen to. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just I'm on the road, man. I just I just got back to uh, New York from Sacred Rose Festival in Chicago. It was uh, super fun, except for the last day we got canceled early evening uh, because of lightning. Hmm. Um, so uh, J Rad never got to play. Circles Around the Sun never got to play. Damn. Um, Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Pantheon. 
American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, it's a, a tough ending in that regard, but otherwise there's a great festival. Phil did the Philco thing, which was uh, Phil Lesh with uh, Jeff Tweedy and Nels Klein from Wilco and uh, Carl Denson on sax and vocals, Graham, nice. Elliot, Molo, Elliot. Uh, Stu Allen. It was, it was a pretty spectacular little combination there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I'm a Wilco freak and I actually saw them the next night in New Haven. And uh, I love Jeff Tweedy. I mean, Nels is just, if people, guitar freaks, people who love guitar, if you don't know Nels Klein, please look him up. He's just oh one of the most God. virtuous, vir- virtuosity, virtuistic, whatever. So do you, do you know the song Via Chicago? Oh, right. yeah. So they, so, so they played two Wilco songs. Via Chicago is one of them. And uh, right. it's sort of like a, a, a slow paced ballady kind of a song. And then like out of nowhere, Nels Klein takes, I think like a chopstick or something out of his back pocket. And he does this like crazy, like feedback intense, um, you know, like a Viola Lee blues distortion for 15 or 20 seconds. And then just stops dead. And it goes back to this, like, you know, very mellow, vo- <laughs> right. And he's doing that. And Phil just looks over at him and just like raises his eyebrows and just goes, Whoa, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a moment, you know, that was really a, a really great moment. Um, but yeah, that, 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 that was, that was a really spectacular combination that, um, the festival put together with a woman named Molly who works for Phil. I think that the two of them, Michael Berg, who runs, who runs founded the festival with uh, this woman, Molly, who works for Phil. And I think they, they worked their magic to make this Wilco thing happen. And it, it did not disappoint. Nice. Yeah. Oh man. Tweety. <laughs> Tweety I, I, I think when, when, it, when it's all said and done, I mean, Tweety goes down as like one of the great American singer songwriters. Absolutely. He's got that, that Garcia esque, creaky weathered voice that's just so unique and it's not Mm -hmm. singing it's talking harmonically it's talking melodically Mm -hmm. from your heart and god i love him so much and i was so happy Mm -hmm. to see that lineup and and to hear him do he opened they opened up with dire wolf too to hear him sing dire wolf was just perfect perfect song choice yeah it was really really was a great great set for sure and commenti on keyboards that's who i forgot to say so jeff played keys which was great Nice. Super nice. So how's New York treating you so far? Uh, New York is good. Um, I've got a little house here at the beach. So I just came to sort of help close it up a little bit for the winter before I head back to San Francisco. Um, I'm not sure when this will get broadcast, but uh, 
I got to get back to San Francisco because I got a couple of things coming up pretty quickly here. There's another festival in Buffalo in about three weeks called Borderland that I'll be at. So that's like mm-hmm. the second or third weekend. I think it's technically the third weekend in September. Uh, Flaming Lips, Michael Franti, Portugal, the man. Um, uh, there's this new great band from Jersey that's up and coming called Dogs in a Pile. Now, you, you would think mm-hmm. you would think Dogs in a Pile is a Grateful Dead cover band or tribute band because of the lyric, right? Um, but they're like these young 20, 21 year old kids that are just crushing it. Um, keep your, keep your eyes open for dogs in a pile. So that's, that's, uh, uh, going to be a fun one at Borderlands. Um, but, uh, you know, the other big things for me, which is why I reached out to you guys to hopefully get on your podcast was to talk about my new book and my new, and my new museum exhibition that I have coming up. Um, so, uh, um, if I may, I'll just jump right in if you're okay. And then then we can go from there. But, uh, so, so early in the pandemic, like month one in the pandemic, my daughter, Ricky came to me and said, uh, so, you know, the last thing that I saw OTL before the shutdown was you. Right. You know, we were at the, MSG. At the yeah, we were at the, all, yeah. All, the brothers, the, the brothers at, at MSG. And so Friday the 13th, I flew home with my two kids and uh, we all they thought they were coming back for two weeks. So they brought like a little bit of clothes. <laughs> right. And uh, we all know how that turned out. Um, and uh, so a, a month in, my daughter said, hey, I want to start a new Instagram page for you. I have my Jay Blakesburg Instagram that I post everything from stuff I shot when I was a kid to the dead yeah. to what I shoot yesterday of O'Teal or whoever, Philco, Dead & Co, Bobby, whatever. And uh, she said, I want to do a, a, an Instagram page that's called Retro Blakesburg. And only what will be on it is photographs that you shot on film. And so that is basically like 1978 to 2008 when I stopped shooting film. And I, I said, love that one, man. Yeah. And she, that's and I said, awesome. I said, go for it. And then she built this, uh, she built this Instagram page from scratch and it's got, I think about 20,000 followers. And, uh, and one of the things that she also wanted to do was sort of try and reach an audience that is not just my audience, right? Not just a bunch of, you know, deadheads and, and Almond brothers fans and jam band fans. She, Cause you know, in the, in the late eighties and early nineties, I was shooting the beginning of Soundgarden, the chili peppers, yeah. Uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, uh, you know, alternative rock, right? So at the beginning of my career, nobody cared about the Grateful Dead. I still shot everything I could in the late 80s, but all the magazines, which is where we made our money and our bread and butter, and all those magazines don't exist anymore except for Rolling (laughs) Stone and a handful of others, was shooting, you know, they were interested in what Soundgarden was doing. Uh, You know, so for instance, in 92, I did this backstage photograph of all of Pearl Jam and all of Soundgarden at Lollapalooza. And it's, you know, now 30 years later, it's a legendary epic photograph, right? At the time, it was just these two up and coming bands, right? And so, you know, history has been written. And so Ricky um, basically did this Instagram and I was working on a book uh, called Psychedelic Icons and Other Outlaws or something like that. And the woman who was writing all the text for that book got long covid And she couldn't Mm. finish writing the text and she couldn't work. She was in bed basically for eight months or a year. Couldn't even walk around the block, you know, 40 year old, healthy woman. Right. And uh, so we couldn't hit our deadlines on that book. And so uh, Ricky and I had been talking about turning the retro Blakesburg Instagram page into a coffee table book. And I just Mm. turned to Ricky one day and said, okay, here we go. 
Um, you know, the, the, the switch is flipped. We're on, let's do it. And we just went full steam ahead and, uh, Ricky curated the book a hundred percent. I think there were two or three photos in the whole book that I fought for that I wanted to be in, but essentially, <laughs> you know, this is from the eye of a 26 year old woman who has a great eye for photography, studied photography in school is in grad school yeah. studying art management and administration and archival studies right now. And, uh, and so she, she had very, very strong opinions. And, uh, I like to call this book, my visual autobiography. So it's called retro Blakesburg, the film archives, volume one. And at the, and it's, and it's separated into decades, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. And at the beginning of each decade, I wrote a 2,500 word essay talking about where I was at at that time, what I was doing either as a human or a photographer. And so you sort of trace my evolution as a photographer, which started in high school in the late 1970s, shooting a bunch of kids, smoking a bunch of weed and drinking a bunch of beer and taking psychedelics and looking like it to, you know, the more fucked up you were, the more chance you had for me to take your photo. Right. (laughs) And, 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 uh, and so, you know, all of those photos are in there. And then I roll into college. Um, I'm sure you guys know that I, there was a, for me, there was a short prison stint in there for possession yeah. of LSD. So high school, dead tour, short prison stay, college. Um, and then I moved to the Bay Area and start my career in 85, 86. Uh, so that's sort of the trajectory. And, and we hit all of those sections in this book. Um, and uh so, you know, that's how the book came about and that's where it is. And, you know, again, there's pictures, you know, there's pictures of portraits that I did of the Chili Peppers in both 87 and 89. So 87, 35 years ago, if you were at that Chili Pepper show in Seattle in 87, right. And you were 22 to 25 years old, you're 60 years old now. Right. Unbelievable. You know, you're 58. Right. And so, yeah. um, you know, so it's not just deadheads looking back at these photos from <laughs> yeah. 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now it's it's fans of, you know, like I saw Jane's Addiction in a small nightclub on Hate Street. I saw the Chili Peppers yeah. in small venues, um, Soundgarden in small venues. Uh, you know, it was the beginning of the alternative rock thing. And so now that audience is a very mature audience. Right. And and you got you see it, O'Teal, when you go wherever you play. <laughs> no matter how young the band members are in your band or how old the demographic goes from, you know, 20 to 70. Right. Yeah. It's really weird too, to look at bands. Uh, <laughs> well, to see guys interviewed from like, you know, Nirvana or whatever, you know, and you see how old they are. And I like, Oh my goodness. It's like, look at flea, you know, we got old. It's, yeah. it's I, a lot of time. That well, time went so fast, man. We got older. We didn't get old. We got older. That's true. We got older. (laughs) We got a lot older real quick. Yeah. (laughs) I remember Green Day being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm like, how? I thought you needed to be a band for a certain amount of time in order to... And then I did the math, and I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, they've been around long enough to... 25 years as Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know. And it's like, wow. To me, that was almost still like new music, because it's like anything that came out... My only vision of them is... I was just watching a, a thing of uh what's his name billy corgan from smashing pumpkins yeah mm-hmm. he has a professional wrestling thing mm-hmm. and i was just like god you know nothing against him i was like look how old we are you know just like right. whoa i only have this image of him as like super the mm. smashing pumpkins you're like whoa yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean I'm the back. first time I, the first couple times i shot the smashing pumpkins he had hair <laughs> he had a, full, a full head of hair yeah and, wow. uh, and it's funny uh, when i was in chicago uh for sacred rose 
this last weekend on the Thursday before Sacred Rose started, I had lunch at Billy Corgan's vegan restaurant up in Highland Park, north of Chicago. I was wow. up there visiting a, a photographer friend of mine. He said, let's go to Billy Corgan's restaurant. You know, uh, <laughs> That's great. And I, I was like, yeah, it was delicious. So he's a um, cool dude. Like I just, yeah, but I was thinking about that passage of time. Like, whew, yeah, that was quick. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's incredible is as a music fan, no matter what, the visual aspect of it, some of my favorite books are, you know, like the art of the Fillmore and some of the pictures from mm-hmm. like those days and, you know, thumbing through Gerilyn Brandelius is like, dead family album or, you know, like any book, Keith Moon's, uh, biography, you go right to that middle part where all the pictures oh, are, yeah. you know, always. Like, you always go to the pictures first. So first. this is so exciting that you have this and all those different genres. I just finished Flea's book acid for the children. So I, I, I read that too. It's a good one. Yeah. God, it's so good. But like, and what's, and what's interesting is that that he's like the same age as me. And so he yeah. was coming up in LA doing that whole punk rock thing and figuring how to be in a band and figuring out his whole thing with Anthony. And I was being a deadhead and following the grateful dead, but we're essentially the same age. And, uh, I even have a picture of Flea and Bob. We were together at a benefit in San Francisco from a couple years ago. So nice. uh, the w- worlds merged collided. <laughs> so I met him one time at a NAMM show. We actually played together, I think, cause we oh. were both playing modulus spaces. Mm-hmm. And he Love had a signature model. So we actually got to jam for a little bit at their booth at the NAMM show. You know, he was really cool. Yeah. He was really cool. His first guitar player, Hillel, taught him how to play the bass. And he was like, just walk your fingers. And that was really interesting to hear, Jay, in the mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. about how Flea learned the ba- He started out as, on the trumpet. And then, yeah. you know, he just walked his fingers on the and taught himself to slap and all that. Just so neat. Like, just yeah. Do you have a series of pictures like that where you have this, these, cause a lot of these guys, you still photograph like flea, really young flea at this age, flea now. Absolutely. And I think that that's um, for me and my archive, that's like one of the cool and important things is that I've photographed these people over the decades. Right. And so because it's only, only shot on film, um, there's no, uh, recent photos because there's no digital photos in the book, right? So it ends in, yeah, 2000, in the book. 2008. But just to give you an example, so Michael Franti wrote the introduction for the book, right? I first photographed Michael Franti in 1987. Okay. Wow. Uh, he had a band called the Beatniks and it was at a little club in Berkeley <laughs> called the Berkeley Square. Uh, yeah, their, their big hit song at the time is They Don't Serve Burritos in the White House for a DC boy. <laughs> um, uh, that was their song. They Don't Serve Burritos the in the White House. And, and, and then John Prine title, right. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, the beatniks became Michael's next band were the disposable heroes of hypocrisy. And they put out one record. I shot the back cover for that. And then Michael went out to, to form spearhead, um, yeah. like, you know, and then eventually became Michael Franti and spearhead, right. It was called yeah. just spearhead for a long time. Yeah. And he was on Capitol records for a long time. And every time anything Michael did, uh, you know, the record company would hire me. I mean, my, my archive of Michael spans 35 years from 87 until today. I mean, you know, I'm Michael wrote the introduction. I mean, I'm going to go see Michael at borderland in in three weeks he's playing and, and uh, you know, he still lives, he, he lives most of the time in Bali right now, Uh, Uh, but, 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 and he's building this mega beautiful 
um, incredible resort, boutique, hotel, uh, uh, healing experience. Like it's a retreat uh, he, thing. Yeah. Yeah. When I went over to his house to, um, uh, pick up all the signature pages. So the limited edition version of the book is signed by Michael, me, my daughter, and Wayne Coyne from the Flamey Lips, who wrote oh, the forward. Wow. I'll talk about Wayne for a second. But nice. When I went over to Michael's house in San Francisco, when he signed all the, the signature pages for the limited edition book, um, uh, he showed me a bunch of drone videos of his property in Bali and they built like an amphitheater Ooh. and this hotel. I mean, it is wow. unbelievable. Yoga workshops, music yeah. experiences. It is unbelievable. So uh, Michael is, you know, he's been a longtime San Francisco guy. Michael is incredibly smart, incredibly articulate. And one of the most, I think, um, uh, healing human beings that plays music yeah. on stage. I mean, I've seen Michael get up on stage and just completely transform people's lives at his shows. You know, he'll get uh, kids up on stage to dance with yeah. his, him or he'll get kids up on stage to sing with him. I remember at the Berkeley Greek theater, uh, we were doing a live web stream that I was actually directing and uh, he brought a 16 year, year old girl up. She had an acoustic guitar and I think she played, I forget what song it was. And you know, that is a life-changing experience for that girl. That's something she will yeah. never forget. And I've every single show, and I've seen Michael Franti and Spearhead, I want to say, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times at this point. Every single time I see Michael, I walk away and I say, he just changed yeah. so many people's lives. Wow. And that's the beauty of rock and roll. Now, flipping it over to Wayne Coyne, because I mentioned him from the Flaming Lips, I first photographed Wayne in 1989. So I've got a 33-year relationship with Wayne. Yeah. Um, you know, when they first came and he was, you know, this they were this grunge band and uh, they were managed by a woman in San Francisco and they came to San Francisco and I did a publicity shoot of them. And then uh, six months later, they were back in San Francisco with a new uh, guitar player. So I did a new publicity shoot with them. And so my relationship with Wayne goes to 89 and it Man. also, it also goes through and I've shot the flamey lips, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Uh, my daughter wrote a short essay in the book called father and daughter. And the photo that we ran is a picture of her being, I think she's eight years old and she's dancing on stage with the flamey lips at their, <laughs> uh, 1990, 2006. So she's 10 born in 96, 2006, um, uh, Yahoo Christmas party in San Francisco. They got hired, <laughs> hired to play for the Yahoo staff, you know, 5,000 people <laughs> in this big pavilion. That's and great. she's up on stage getting ready to do the, you know, the Yoshimi karate chop with Wayne. And he's just looking <laughs> over at her and she's got a giant, you know, stuffed animal head on her head. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's, that's the flaming lip. So, you know, Wayne and I go back and we're the same exact age and, and, uh, 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 you know, he's got two young kids now and it's, it's just been great to like, you know, we look at each other and we're like, this has been going on with us for 30 something over yeah. 30 years now. Like that's just mind boggling <laughs> that I've been photographing him do his thing. And we've been friends and I called him up and and actually I texted him and I said, will you write the forward? He goes, I'll give it a shot. And he doesn't really use a computer. He does everything on his phone. So we would send (laughs) me these text messages with like this forward and I would put them into word documents and we'd edit them and send it back to him. And, you know, and it was pretty, pretty, pretty process. And then he'd text it back to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But so, yeah, so that's basically the book. It's uh, Wayne wrote the forward. Michael wrote the introduction. My daughter wrote a short essay. I wrote these long essays at the beginning of each decade. And then uh, there are certain stories in the book. There's little asterisks that say, see notes and you go to the back yeah. and it's an extended caption about what it was 
uh, where I was, why, why I shot that, you know, you know, yeah, I know I only sent you guys a PDF cause I didn't have the, the, uh, the, the books in yet, but now we got them in. So I'll send you guys copies for sure. Oh, Sweet. thank you so much. Sweet. I'm interested to, to hear about your, your process of like writing those essays for the decades. Like that must've been a pretty interesting, like retrospective for yourself to like, look back on mm-hmm. like, where was I at that decade? Where was I at that decade? Cause you mentioned you did like you know, personal as well as professional, that must've been a really interesting exercise. Uh, it, it really was. I'm, I'm really quick. I want to see if I can find, uh, a PDF of the book. Here we go. Let me just see. It's like, hard, it's like wow. How do you fit in a whole decade? Right. In this yeah. little thing. Right. So you here, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the very, very beginning of the essay for the 1980s. And it starts out by saying, and there's a picture of Jerry Garcia on stage at midnight with balloons and confetti falling on him. And, uh, and on the other page, it's a picture of Bill Graham landing in a butterfly net, uh, dressed (laughs) as a giant butterfly with steal your face wings. And this is, and this is how it starts. It says at 12.01 AM, January 1st, 1980, I was standing in front of the stage at the Oakland auditorium arena while colored balloons fell from the ceiling confetti rained down on the grateful dead. Uh, and the grateful dead were singing sugar Magnolia to a psychedelicized swirling crowd. I had just turned 18 years old, exactly one month prior and everything was exactly as it should be at that moment. I quickly became more and more immersed in my love for the, for the music of the Grateful Dead and the history surrounding the cultural zeitgeist that had exploded out of that tiny neighborhood at the edge of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco called the Haight-Ashbury beginning in 1964. Living in suburban New Jersey, bouncing between my mother's house in Clark and my father's just five minutes away in Westfield, I spent most of my time thinking about when I would get when I would next get to see the Grateful Dead or make my second sojourn to the Bay Area, which for me now is holy ground. This was the birthplace of the Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, the Fillmore, the Avalon, Bill Graham, Chet Helms, and where Ken Kesey held some of his acid tests. All of this history consumed our thoughts and helped formulate how we would how we would live our lives. So that's the beginning of that essay. And it just keeps going from there and talking about what happened yeah. with me in the 80s. And, you know, within a year of that, a year and a half of that, I had gotten arrested, you know, picking up a couple thousand hits of LSD uh, at an overnight facility in New Jersey. And um, uh, life changed. And and yeah. so, you know, the next decade reflects on that. And uh, so that's how I was, uh, I was writing. And then by the time I get to the early 2000s, I'm writing about the shift from shooting film to digital and what that means mm-hmm. and how it affected our workflow. So it goes from a, a lot of very, very personal history um, but also tied into all of my photography to become a professional photographer and all the um, things that we had to grapple with in making those transitions from from analog to digital, how it worked, how it changed us, how it changed us as creative people, how it changed us as photographers, um, and how it changed the nature of how we dealt with artists and magazines and everything else that we were we were doing. Some pretty big changes, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, technology, the great disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. We've watched it happen in music. Probably how it changed you as a businessman too, I imagine. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, we went from creating physical, tangible property to, uh, you know, electronic files that were emailed. I mean, just from a business standpoint, since you brought it up, Mike, um, in the state of California, when we used to shoot on film and deliver our jobs to our clients with film, because it was tangible, it required us to charge sales tax. When we started transmitting files digitally and uh, over the internet, 
there's nothing tangible. So there was no more sales tax. So it changed the nature of mm. our business as business people. And, you know, you've got to be a business person as well as a creative person to, you know, yeah. navigate um, being a professional freelance, you know, photographer, I'm a commercial photographer. Uh, I consider yeah. myself an artist, but I'm a commercial photographer and, and, uh, it's where art and commerce meet. And you have to understand all the different aspects of how that works, both from a creative standpoint, now a technical standpoint. I mean, photography was always a technical art, right? Yeah. Even, you know, shutter speed, you know, back then you had to understand how shutter speed, aperture, film speed, and light all work together, but you didn't have a digital back to look at immediately to evaluate and make corrections or changes. You had to shoot it, develop your film, get it back, look at it, try and remember what the lighting condition was. And through osmosis, because we didn't have the internet to get on and look at YouTube and say, how come my pictures are overexposed or underexposed or, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? Like we had to figure it out, read a book, take a class, um, try again, you know, shoot more film, develop yeah. it again, see if it works, see what you're doing wrong. And nowadays, you know, you take a picture, you look at it a split second later and you say, okay, too dark. If I do this, this, and this, I can make it lighter. Um, if I do this, this, and this, I can make it lighter and more creative by changing the depth of field or, um, the lighting or the color, you know, there's all these things that you can do instantaneously. So there was a big learning curve. And of course, you know, you guys are, you know, in your fifties, right? Mike, are you in your fifties? Forties. Forties. I feel okay. like I'm in my nineties. So okay. yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but, we'll but, meet but at fifties. Uh, uh, OTL's in his fifties, but you know, I mean, I mean, think about how, you know, like we, and even you, Mike, I mean, we were not born with a cell phone as a pacifier no. in our, in our mouth. So we had to, as adults, we had to learn this whole technology curve and, and reestablish ourselves. You know, OTL, I'm sure you recorded on, analog tape in the early days of your career and oh, you ended man. Up, editing but, stuff back yeah. then yeah Holy moved to hard drives yeah shit. but I, I don't you know i wonder you know as you describe the old way of doing things I, I i wonder do we not learn better by failure by failing more doing it the old way i agree you with know? you i do I, mean, I, I you know I, I believe I heard you have to go through every, you know, yeah, I believe I, I heard a thing about Jack White that like he won't he, he won't use a sample. He'll build the instrument before using like a digital sample of something mm. like he'd rather build it and he make the sound make authentically. Yeah. And I think about that from the perspective of like now mm. everyone's a photographer. I just got a new phone and it's like the selling point was the camera. Like, oh, you want this one because it's got a better camera. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll just subscribe to Retro Blakesburg, you know, or, or National Geographic or whatever. I don't need to. Right. But it's like we all have yeah. the. It's right. So we, we are, we are all photographers. You're hundred percent correct. And, uh, I was We're not all good photographers. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's the other We're problem. Not all artists. Is, right. That's the other problem is that, you know, you po somebody posts a photo of O'Teal on stage with his band or dead co or whatever. And they're back at the soundboard and O'Teal is the size of a, a, a <laughs> the, the head of a pin and it's, and it's blown out and everybody's like, Oh my God, that's incredible. You know? <laughs> no, it's not incredible. It's a crappy photograph that should be deleted. You know, but, well, my um, wife taught me that cause she actually has a degree in photography. So, you know, <laughs> that's her mantra. Oh, everybody thinks they're a photographer. Yeah, they're not. You know, she really appreciates the good ones, which you can do great ones on your phone. You can. But if you don't know how to frame it, if you don't know, right. like, I'm constantly with people, 
want to take pictures with me and like the lights facing the camera i'm like why don't we shift this way so you're not all blown out you know just little things you know oh yeah we all do the same thing yeah for sure but uh yeah technology is the great disruptor and you're absolutely right that i think that uh having the background the analog background uh i think does make a big difference i was at, at sacred rose i was talking to all the folks that were on the media crew with me and they're all you know, 20 to 30 years younger than I am. And, uh, and at the end I was just saying, you know, who's heard of Richard Avedon. And there was only one woman, this woman, Steph Port in LA photographer. She's like, yeah, of course, Irving Penn. Yeah. She heard of it. And like the other six photographers had never heard of these people. And these are, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you listening to, uh, you know, uh, Layla and other sort of love songs as inspiration for something that you're doing today. Right. It's like going back and understanding the past to make you better, in the present or the future. And there's so many people that don't have those points of reference. They never worked in a dark room. They never shot film. Yeah. They don't, they don't know about the great film photographers of the fifties and the sixties and the seventies and so on and so forth. You know, the Avedons, the pens, the Friedlanders, Robert Frank, the street photographers, you know, it goes on and on. And I think but that you ha- see what they did without all right. of what we have now. It's like it's stunning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, they come to it with a completely new, fresh today eye. And so yes. they're creating yeah. things from that perspective yeah. that I look at and I say, well, I can't do that because I come from this perspective. So, um, you know, it, it definitely goes both ways and we, we all benefit and not don't yeah. benefit by what we do know and what we don't know and, and where we are and, and uh, what we've seen, <laughs> and what we learned. We are definitely that weird generation that like grew up without the technology, like the blow up of it. Like, look, yeah, my dad had a phone and of course now phones different, but we still had phones like this whole, like we watched the internet become the, the thing that actually just (laughs) the internet that changed society (laughs) completely. And it blows me away still to like, think I see children and I'm like, they will, they never will have the experiences that we did the waiting like just like you said it's unbelievable yeah patience forget it but i know life is going to force them into patience too like this whole push button like i'm just as guilty of it but i know life is going to deal you situations where you just flat out have to be patient because i have something i worry about you know the attention span is so short the need for immediate you know (laughs) Absolutely. You, you, you know where I've noticed it a lot too with myself personally? I used to I used to pride myself on being very good with directions. Like getting on the road <laughs> and going to shows or getting out of a place and going like, all right, north is that way, whatever. Like right. I knew directions and I memorized directions and I was very reliable when it came to that. Now aware. Yeah. Now I'm doing a drive back and forth to a comedy <laughs> club that I do twice a day, whatever. And I'm using ways or I'm using Google maps and I'm using, right. and I like almost that part of my brain has gone on like right. mute. Well, ways might be smart because it'll tell you, Hey, there's an accident here. I mean, some part of it. Sure. I, but I think back like Jay, I'm sure you do, but we're on the road. And I was like, how do we do this back when we were on the road we, we in had 1987? Rand, we, had, we had Rand McNally 
maps in our car, those big giant books. Yep. The big trucker maps that yeah. were laminated. That's yeah. what we had. Yeah, yeah, we went to abso- AAA abso- and made triptychs. Yeah. Triptychs, I remember those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember you'd go to AAA and you'd tell, tell them where you were going. They'd give you those paper maps. You'd unfold them. You can never fold them back up the same way. That's right. uh, but I mean, but you're right. Stone like even age. memorizing, you know, like we used to know, like, hey, I'm going to go to New Haven. I got to get on 95 and I got to do this. And nowadays you're like, well, I think it's 95. Let me check my phone and my phone will tell me. Yeah. But you know, the, the other thing about um, the book, the Retro Blakesburg book being only shot on film is that, and even though it goes up to 2008, I don't think there's one photo in that book where you see a cell phone. Yes. Right. So, so even when you are looking at, so, well, definitely when you're looking at any photographs of deadheads that I have in this book, right. Deadheads dancing at a show in 87, 89, 91, whatever it is, 1980. Um, and I, and I say this when I do my public speaking gigs, right. So, uh, you know, I do a, and Otila has seen me do this a couple of times. I do a grateful dead slideshow. Uh, that's about 90 minutes long. And I think we're going to take it out on the road in early November on the East coast, uh, starting in Connecticut, going down to Nashville for about six or seven or eight events. And, um, uh, when you're looking at these pictures of deadheads dancing, what's so unique about that time period and what's never going to be again is that there's no technology in those photos. Right. Um, first of all, nobody's taking pictures of their friends. Nobody is yeah. uh, dancing because they want to be on TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook the next day. Um, everybody is in that moment specifically to be in that moment. So it is truly an organic technology free experience. Yeah. There's rock and roll being played from the stage through electronics and through amps, but what we're experiencing are those sound waves and how we're absorbing them into our bodies and how those sound waves are making us move and groove and interact with each other and the band that's on stage. And to me, when I look at my photos, my analog photos, that is the most magical part of it all is that it is truly, truly a time in our lives that will never and can never happen again. Yeah. I mean, some there are certainly small shows that bands make you put your phone into a case and lock it up at the front desk. There's still some people that sneak it in or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in general, I don't think there will ever be a concert ever again where there is not something documented on a cell phone camera. Right. Yeah. You know, it kind of gives me hope that it lasted that long to 2008. I would have thought it would have been over by then. Well, you have to remember. <laughs> you know? So in yeah. 2008, I'm pretty yeah. sure that we were, we were, we were texting already, but I don't think that we had cameras in our the phones. Cameras yet. Weren't as and, if, and if we did, they were like those super low res <laughs> pixelated, like, like a Fisher price toy camera, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, totally. uh, you know, they were like probably like 300 to 500 kilobyte files. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was most people weren't like everything they saw, they weren't photographing everything. their food and the, the traffic and their baby and their brother and the girl and the boy yeah. and the, this and the, that, and, you know, so, so there were less pictures being taken until probably till the iPhone came out. And I'm not sure when that was the first iPhone, I'm guessing maybe it was around 2008, nine, something like that. Seven, eight, nine, six, seven, yeah. eight. But I uh, imagine probably we, yeah. we, we just, we, we, we weren't a cell phone taking 
uh, planet just yet. Just yet. Thank God. Right. <laughs> so it's got its pluses and minuses. Yeah. It, it's so interesting that you bring that up because one of my, like, uh, you know, if I'm writing or I'm working or whatever, one of the my favorite background noises is uh, old baseball games. I like to just, I like to <laughs> listen to baseball games and ESPN classic or like, you know, sometimes <laughs> they'll play games from way back, even early 2000s. And it's amazing to watch the crowd in between pitches when there's no phones, people look at each other and people mm-hmm. look at the sky huh. or people take deep breaths. And it's just interesting. They like it take in watching the pitch and then the catcher throws the ball back and the pitcher sets for the next pitch. And it's like five, six, seven, eight seconds or 30 <laughs> seconds, whatever. Or more, yeah. When people are just kind of like looking at each other and talking or look, yeah, just taking a breath, taking whatever. That's a time now where we go like, let's see if anybody emailed. Let's see. I've been thinking about how, like, if every time we checked a phone was lighting a cigarette, right. we'd all be smoking 60 packs a day, you know? Right. But it's like you said, it's interesting sure it to see a time period that's like, yeah, it's no secret. Option. Yeah, it's no secret that uh, the cell phone technology has changed the way we interact with other humans and interact with yeah. life in general. I yeah. mean, we all know that. I mean, you know, even our kids, you know, Oteil, your kids, I'm sure if you guys are traveling, they're on an iPad playing a game or watching a movie or. Um, and they're begging me for phones, four and seven. Yeah, begging. already. Right. I mean, Nigel. It's cool because they want to connect with their <laughs> right. friends. Right. On the, you know, he's trying to do it through his Nintendo Switch. I see my friend on there, but I don't want to let him on the general internet because of, you know. Uh, of course. Yeah. But at, already at four, we're, we just right. we're like hearty, har, har. No right. way. You know? I think, I think my, <laughs> my, my son is older. He's 28. And uh, I feel like he got his first phone in eighth grade and my daughter got her first wow. phone in probably like fifth or sixth grade. Um, it starts to get, yeah. Yeah. Earlier you know, and earlier. Or, or maybe yeah. he was in seventh grade. Maybe he got it at middle school. Maybe he got it in seventh and, and then she got her first phone and not in seventh, but in fifth, you know, something like that. Well, but some it's, of these little kids around here have phones real. I'm like, I don't care what she's got at that yeah. age. Like right. you ain't getting it. Like, right. Yeah. You know, this is a strange world for people who just don't want to be connected all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a tough, yeah, but you tough know racket. What? There's an off button. Right. I do it like, you know, uh, fasting, <laughs> just phone fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, I'm not, t- I mean, my schedule doesn't allow it most of the time, but sometimes you have to just take, like, you have to take the time to not be on it. So you can be human. But- yeah. Let, let, let's change the subject for a second. Um, have you guys ever talked on your podcast to Oteil about his, uh, his stint as a Hollywood actor on be- in the movie being <laughs> there? Have you ever seen Mike? Do you know about that clip? Have you watched it on YouTube? Yeah. We've I talked, think we've done it a little bit briefly about his acting days for sure. Yeah. I mean, he had a speaking part in, in, a, in one of the greatest films ever. I mean, that the being there book, right. Jersey Kaczynski wrote that, right. Um, yes. Holocaust I mean, what survivor, a, yeah. I, I mean, what a great, great book that is. And, and Oteil plays like a, playing a tough, you know, Washington DC thug, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you bring this up because uh, I've, I started to realize after last weekend that I've changed my view of nostalgia. Like I used to think nostalgia was really hokey, but you know, when you look back, like for us aging and stuff with people that are still alive, 
you know, a few of them died. Like when you see people are still alive that you've been through stuff with, but for 30 years ago, you just, it makes you feel different now that you're older. You know, right. even I was like crazy. I didn't really couldn't even see what was going on. Right. So like when I think about, you know, being there and you look back on these things, it's just like, wow, how lucky we were. Yeah. You know? and, and I'm like, and how lucky we are that we're still standing to and, realize and, how lucky we were. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and what you're talking about, that nostalgia really is now personal history, right? So yes. I like to always say that, you know, we are the sum of our experiences, right? And that for you, that was like your first experience in, in the limelight, so to speak, right? I mean, you've had most, yeah. you know, most of your adult life, um, you've been in the limelight, whether it was a small club with Bruce Hampton or a jazz club with your brother. Right. Back then at 14, like I had a TV show back then that won an Emmy where it was like a talk show for... Mm-hmm. Pre-teens to early teens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, and that's what drove me into music because the television thing, like people treat you really, they get out of hand when you're right. on TV. Right. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, we, I'd have had that. And Kofi was in the limelight since he was really young because he was just a child prodigy as a right. musician. He was in the newspaper and on right. TV and yeah, you and- know, like it's, it's an interesting life. Yeah. And so, you you know, you look at that nostalgia, which is really your personal history, which now has rolled into pop culture history because, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it's interesting. So, you know, Barry Oakley is the bass player in the Allman Brothers for what, six or seven years. Um, yeah. Lamar, Lamar Williams, five or six or seven years. Uh, Alan Woody, five or six or seven years. Otil Burbridge, what, 25 years, 22 years? 17. 20, 17. But still more than all the okay. others put Tw- together. Twice yeah. the length of anybody yeah. else, right? But, uh, know. It's, you know, yeah. you were an Almond brother for 17 years. I mean, yeah. you know, in our world, in our music world. So, you know, growing up in the 1970s, um, you know, our bands were the Grateful Dead and the Almond Brothers, right? And yeah. And I'm not sure if, you know, we were tapped into the Allman brothers. Like, did that happen because of Watkins Glen or did that happen because of the fact that, you know, they were improvisational to a point, but different than the grateful dead were improvisational, you know, and then out of the Allman brothers and out of the South were all these other bands that, you know, some, we like some, we didn't Leonard Skinner, Charlie Daniels, Marshall Tucker, the outlaws, sort of the Southern rock thing that sort of followed in the same vein as the Allman brothers and uh, uh, some of it we love, yeah. some of it we didn't. You know, l- I look back on some of it and I cringe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Green Grass and High Tides was a great song. And even watching them play that live, you know, with, you know, two, three lead guitars or three guitars, you know, <laughs> when they played it live, they improvised that a little bit, you know, yeah. as did Leonard Skinner. In high school, I was not a big Leonard Skinner fan. I was more of a Marshall Tucker guy and a Marshall Charlie Tucker's Daniels guy, guy. Yeah. you know, but Charlie Daniels, you know, became a kind of a, crazed, you know, (laughs) uh, redneck, you know, a little bit of a, you know, far right kind of a guy. Um, but I mean, all those early Marshall Tucker records were, were beautiful. And and, I just did a thing with, uh, Paul Riddle, the original drummer for Marshall Tucker, redoing some of that stuff with Marcus King and uh, Charlie Starr. George, George McCorkle and, and, uh, you know, yeah. all those guys and, you know, toy and Tommy Caldwell. I mean, to- toy Caldwell, the guitar Man. player, he played with his thumb. He didn't use a pick, yeah. right. It was like, you know, super unique and interesting stuff that had fl- flavors of jazz and improv in it, but still it was the grateful dead and the Allman brothers that were, you know, the Kings and, and, you know, I mean, 
if you look back in history, like look at wake of the flood. Okay. We're getting close yeah. to the 50th anniversary of wake of the flood next year, God. 2023 came out in 73. That's right. right. So, so if you, if you were to go back and look on the pop charts in 1973, the billboard charts, and I did this when I interviewed Phil Lesh, uh, back in, in 2015, uh, when at Terrible Crossroads, they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Grateful Dead. Um, Phil played a show from every year in the band's history. And before each show, I got up there and interviewed Phil about what was going on in the Grateful Dead history that year. And so we get yeah. to 73 and I would be like, okay, this is what's on the pop charts. Doris Day, Helen Reddy, Olivia Newton-John. Helen Reddy. And, yeah, yeah, I you, know, you know, I am woman, I am strong, right? I am and, woman, hear me roar. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that shit, dude. I was like yeah, nine and, years old then. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and uh, so, but, but the Grateful Dead put out Wake of the Flood and there's Weather Report Suite on it, which is 13 minutes long. Eyes <laughs> yeah. of the World. Let me you sing know. your blues away. Right, and, and I'm like talking to Phil, you know, here comes sunshine. I'm talking to Phil, you know, or really anybody. And you look at this and you're just thinking, you know, what was this band thinking? Like they had, (laughs) you know, they had their own, they had their own uh, reference points for pop culture yeah. that was completely different than anybody else. And the great thing that was, that was still allowed in that time. Yes. Back then, like artists were seeking to be different. Yes. You know, now they're like, somebody gets a hit. Okay, let's do a thousand things. Just let's clone that. But back then you were like, you actually got rewarded if you found. Yeah. So there was room for Helen Reddy. And I mean, you know, they uh, dead one on the charts, but there right. was still that was still a part of the mentality, like find your own sound. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wolf. For more than 25 years, Smart Wool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smart Wool. Go far, feel good. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the Grateful Dead were absolutely 100% original in that. Kings you know, of that. Yeah, you know. I mean, if you listen to that record now, like we listen to the Eyes of the World and it's so incredibly pleasing and and accessible, but like to get into the Grateful Dead, I mean, when I went and saw so I saw the Jerry Garcia band before I saw the Grateful Dead in the summer of mm. 77, and the only song that I knew was Sugaree. And, uh, mm. and, uh, you know, here's Jerry playing a bunch of Motown songs and, yeah. and other, you know, his own stuff that are each one of those songs is 10 minutes long. You know, there's five or six songs in each Jerry Garcia band set when a Jerry band show happened. Right. Cause there are these extended jams and I was 15 years old. I was, it, you know, I was trying to figure it out and trying to understand it. It wasn't so easy for a 15 year old kid who, when I listened to the radio, I listened to like the Doobie brothers and, and, yeah. you know, black water and, you know, pop songs of, of, you know, WNEW classic rock now classic rock, but then contemporary rock. Um, uh, you know, the stuff that we heard on the radio, David Bowie, you know, stuff that I guess was easier or more accessible in a pop, you know, music landscape than an eyes of the world maybe would have been, but now yeah. you listen to eyes of the world and you're like, there's nothing more accessible than eyes in the yeah. world. Like anybody listening to, you know, listening to it and, and, and for a first time. And, you know, and those songs, 
uh, you know, those lyrics, the way that, 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 that they hit us and they hit us hard, um, you know, as, as teenagers, you know, and I, I talk about this when I do my Grateful Dead slideshow, uh, you know, it's the, it's those lyrics that made yeah. me want to go to San Francisco. It's those lyrics that made me want to mm. read the electric Kool-Aid acid test. It's those yeah. lyrics that made me say, uh, you know, like think about the first time you ever listened to tangled up in blue. Like, you know, and it's hard to think back, but, you know, think about that song for a second. Think about that story for a second. And like, and you're listening to it and you're 13 or 14 or 15 or 16 years old or whatever you are. And you're, and, and you've got your headphones on and you're in your bedroom and you're playing it on vinyl and the black lights are on and the posters are glowing. And, <laughs> and, and you're like, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, why am I in New Jersey? But you're 15 and you don't know how to get out of New Jersey. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Yes. And then, and then somebody says, listen to this Grateful Dead record. In my case, it's this guy named Lozzie, he'd come over, listen to this Grateful Dead record. And by the way, you know, I think it's going to snow next Tuesday and we're going to get school canceled. So I'm getting some blotter LSD and we're going <laughs> to listen to this fucking record all day long on a snow day. And we're going to look at that album cover and watch the clouds yeah. melt with the skull. And I'm talking about Wake of the Flood because yeah. my first snow day and my first acid trip and Wake of the Flood all go together. Right. Wow, and those, really? Uh, yes. Whoa, yeah. What amazing. Yeah. yeah. What a confluence. On a snow day too. Yeah. On a snow day. Snow on acid is amazing. Right. Your yeah, mother, you know, my mother would go to work and six people come over your house and you all drop acid and you don't know what to do or what to expect. And, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, my daughter, my daughter took LSD for the first time at fare thee well. Right. And, wow. uh, and so she, you know, I'm like, Ricky, why do you want to take acid when there's 70,000 people in the stadium? And she goes, well, I want to take acid because both my mother and my father are going to be there. And if anything goes wrong, I can find you guys. Yeah. You know? I thought like, going to go, well, you're going to be on acid. So I'm going to be on acid. You guys are going to. I didn't start dosing again at shows until I met you and, and microdose with you a couple times. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I took a really long time people you always ask me are like man what was it like dosing with the crown i was like i never did that i stopped like around i think 18 19 i want to say 18 like i did a hardcore like 17 18 like hardcore and then i just stopped and it did it once with the Colonel in Avon College. This must have been like 19 we played volleyballs me jimmy and matt and so 90, early 90s, 92, three, 92, mm -hmm. 91, mm -hmm. and then never again, right? Maybe at the Beacon one time with Derek and the guys, mm -hmm. like micro. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't start again till Dead and Company. Yeah. yeah it's me all too. micro except for this one time. Right. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, oh, like, <laughs> I remember one time at Shoreline, you and me did some micros together. Yeah. And then I remember at set break, you're like, I think I need to do more. <laughs> well, and that's what I'm so glad that you say that. So people can know because it gets all, Oh, teal, like, you know, it's on right. uh, YouTube yeah. or whatever, but yeah. literally like I do so little. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I need to do that much again, just yeah. to make sure, yeah, you just know, to, like we're dialing up real minutely. Right. You know? It's just, it's, it's, ther <laughs> it's therapy, man. It's, you know, we're not doing, we're it's, not, you know, we, I've already seen God and it's not a guy with a long beard and, yeah, and some ta yeah. tablets. We've been there you know, already. Like, yeah. like I've, I've already done, you know, like, I, so same, same with me. Like I stopped taking acid in, in the late eighties and didn't do it for, I don't know, uh, Tw almost 20 years. 
And then yeah. I took some acid at a mother hips concert in San Francisco. And then about, about a month later, two months later, I took five hits of acid and, oh. uh, and, and, and I went big and it was fucking, yeah, you did. Uh, and it was amazing. And I've never done that again. Okay. Because, because it took me, it took me, you know, three days to recuperate. Absolutely. Right? Sure. Um, and, yeah. and, and, and any psychedelic experiences I've had since then have basically been microdoses or mushrooms yeah. and whatnot. And, you yeah. know, and it's, it's, it's spread out and far, you know, far between, but, uh, but we can get there literally without it. Like not the five hits. Well, right. maybe if you starved yourself for long enough, but like I could get, I got there seeing earth, wind and fire. Like it just, when your, your spirit is so filled uh-huh. and then it starts overflowing out your eyeballs, nose and mouth. And then I just, after they were done, I was just like, this is as good as any, tr- anything, right? Yeah. Anything. Well, that's how we feel about like, music in general. I mean, right. when we leave a Denico show it's... and we see you or whatever, you know, like that's why now we don't I always, get it. Right? <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't always need to dose. We don't always need yeah. to go down that road. Uh, but you know, every once in a while, it's nice to blow out the cobwebs and, and, yeah. and but I will tell you that I, you know, that there, it, it, the, the psychedelic experience is alive and well and thriving everywhere. Yeah, um, and it's thriving, sure. it's thriving all over America. It, you know, I mean, uh, what's the, what's the, uh, tribute band, um, that Pete plays in, in South Florida, um, the dead oh, yeah. crazy uh, fingers, crazy fingers. Right. You know, like, yeah. I mean, there's a crazy fingers and a splintered sunlight and a Mr. Yeah. Blotto and a, you know, this band and that band. <laughs> Mr. Blotto. Yeah. You know, like that's in, they're in Chicago, uh, you know, in, 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 no every, in, in every, in every town and every city yeah. yes. and people are going out and they're, they're dosing or well, micro dosing. Even, even grandmothers and like, it's in suburban, no, like it's, people are it's, curious. Yeah. It's in mental health now. And, I'm glad, you know, the the reason I do it now is because it's almost like uh, it's just a little to join the group. It's a little group sacrament. Yeah. It's yeah. like, OK, I'll do just like John will say, uh, I'm, I'm, it's almost like a placebo. Like, do I really feel it? I think I feel it, but I know it's in the in the audience and I just want to plug in with everybody. And it's like, OK, now we're all like, yeah, you know, I don't need to. Right. But I don't know. It's like this. It's a celebration of this moment. If we get it, could be a nuclear holocaust, asteroid, like who knows what we're going to celebrate right now. Boom. Just a little bit. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It can't be a coincidence that the world's turning to shit and psychedelics are coming up because they're needed. It, it balances, yeah. yeah. It's like you need to, you need I've it. I've seen that when right. as hate rises and gains momentum, like the love thing comes right up to meet it. And it's mind blowing to watch. Yeah. If you can zoom out enough, you could see it happening. I'm like, and okay. I, I, I think microdosing also, you know, like back in the old day, everybody would be like, well, if everybody on the planet took acid, you know, we'd all be a better you know, like planet. Larry wanted to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is that there's so much, there's so much, there's so much harshness. We'll call it. I don't want to say yeah. hate, but there's so much harshness on the planet that, and there's so many people that are not stable that, you know, but, yeah. uh, but I think that even the most unstable person could possibly handle, like, uh, I'm talking about the most micro minute micro dose, just enough to sparkle a little bit. And that's what like microdose therapy is all about. Uh, yeah. you know, like I have a, an old assistant of mine, a guy that worked for me for a number of years. That's what he does. He does psychedelic therapy. I mean, he's trained, yeah. he's legal, he's licensed. And, and I went to lunch with him. He's like, no, when you do microdosing for therapy, you do not feel anything like you're doing, yeah. 
you know, you're doing a, a tenth of a hit or less, yeah. right? You're yeah. not supposed to he- feel anything. You're not supposed to um, uh, see anything. Um, it's it is therapeutic, and I understand that. And I th- and you know, there's been obviously numerous books written about it in the last you know eight to ten years, and and uh, uh, it's changed. But you know, the it was the CIA that let the genie out of the bottle, of course. Yeah. And, Isn't that and, great? And Keezy, <laughs> Keezy, such, yeah. yeah. It's you know when this comes up, this rises up to meet it. It's like yeah. oh, you shouldn't have given it to Keezy. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> And I, I, you know, I love, I love all that pop culture history. I love all of that. Uh, There's a great museum in San Francisco. It's the the museum of uh, blotter acid art. And uh, the guy who runs it, he just has the greatest stories ever. Is that Uh, uh, Mark McLeod? Mark. Mark. I went to his house. I went there. Oh yeah. The lady that makes my shirt, uh, my handmade shirts, Lisa, Uh she knows those guys. And And you see the, like the, the press that, that chopped up. The perforate, made all the, the little squares. The, yeah. The, per, the perforating machine. Yeah. 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 And um, oh, every time I go over there, every time he, I go over there, I bring over like Grateful Dead postcards and I put them through the perf machine. So I have like, oh, sweet. Uh, all, like business cards That's and yeah, little Jerry like perforated things. I, I do that all the time. But yeah. You know, I was there and he, I, I was telling him about the acid that I was doing as at 18, 19, eight, 17, 18, 19 in there. And um, it was called King Tut. You know, my wrestling name, my nickname from the colonel is O'Teal from Egypt. And this was way before then. And it had this little picture of the head of a sarcophagus. And he goes, I got the painting that that was made from. And he goes and digs it out. And I'm thinking, wow, if I could tell my friends. And he sent me a copy of it and signed it. Amazing. I have it back here somewhere. I was just like. Yeah. Holy crap. Cause those were real times uh, of super epiphany. Yeah. That's when like, we weren't raised religious, but that's when I saw God and had figured out all the physical right, philosophical right. stuff that my life would be based on. And then to come full circle and have him like, <laughs> I was just like, Whoa, dude. Was that, that the cool. one that you were taking when it was just like uh picture the light, like uh when your mom, like that, hel- like you came home well, in high school. I don't know if that was, that exact that story one. is just like, wow. yeah, but that was that, that time that we took, it was a, a time period of probably like a few weeks where we did that King Tut. That's oh. what we called it. Right. And, yeah. um, that's when it all happened, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. crazy. That yeah, museum is the best, man. It's this dude's house. Yeah. You know what I love about the whole microdosing therapeutically thing is it's, oh, you know, when you're taking drugs, right? It's like, am I feeling it? Am I feeling it? Am I feeling it? The thing about the microdosing in the therapeutic sense is it's not what you feel. It's what you don't feel. It's the absence mm. of all the anxiety and the it's the absence stuff. of all the yeah. bullshit sure. and the absence of the critic. Well, that's, that's the purpose of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beautiful part about it is that it's, I saw a thing that there's now, I think they started their first trials on a I guess it'll be a medication called Cybin, C-Y-B-I-N. And it's a daily pill to treat major depressive disorder with psilocybin being the major ingredient yeah. in it. So it's starting Ama- to even amazing. make its way into that fold, which right. is pharmaceutical. Like, right. Yeah, cool. Phenomenal. Well, speaking of speaking of museums, um, I have my first solo yeah, museum dude. exhibition happening uh, coming up uh, October 14th. It opens. It's at a museum in New Jersey called the Morris Museum, and it's in nice. Morristown, New Jersey. And the Morris Museum is actually a Smithsonian affiliate museum. Cool. And uh, I've wow. got a, a, an exhibit called Retro Blakesburg Captured on Film, 1978-2008. 
And uh, uh, I've got 126 prints, I believe, over four galleries. So there's a gallery that's just live concert photos. There's a gallery that's just portrait photography. There's a gallery that's just Grateful Dead. And there's a fourth gallery that's like early work and uh, high school, college, uh, figuring out, you know, how to take pictures. Uh, But like, I mean, when I was in high school, uh, like the first month of my senior year of high school, so that'd be September of 78, I photographed uh, back to back two nights in a row, Bob Dylan and Neil Young at Madison Square Garden. Uh, You know, Pete Townsend, The Who at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey in uh, September. Of seventy nine, Clapton. I photographed Lowell George two nights before he oh, died. Oh wow! Um, oh, man. Uh, so this is all stuff that I shot when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, <laughs> and wow. uh, so that's sort of in the in the early, uh, in the one gallery, like the early work, and you know, like any that's museum great. exhibit, there's big boards of text and ephemera and uh, uh, small boards of text and pivotal moments and and things like that. So uh, that opens October 14th at the Morris Museum and it goes till February 5th, 2023. Beautiful. All right, so I'll definitely get to see it. Yeah, yeah, if you're up, it's like like 30 minutes from Manhattan. Uh, Oh, Easy to get to. And uh, on October 16th, which is a Sunday, uh, during the afternoon, we're going to do like an open house. I'm going to do a little slideshow and a meet and greet and do a walking tour of the gallery with whoever wants to show up. Uh, so that's sort of like it, it opens to the public on the 14th. But on that Sunday, the 16th, I'll be there to uh, to hang out and schmooze and and and, nice. and, and hang with my friends. Uh, the way that I got the exhibit was uh, my best friend from kindergarten uh, a guy named Mark Gershman. His mother was a volunteer at the museum and Mark Gershman and I were best friends from kindergarten to fifth grade till 1971 when I moved to a different town. And then we didn't see each other for 30 years. Wow. His, his first dead show was my first dead show, English no town. Kidding. So we were on the same path. He walked into a bookstore in 2002, oh, so 31 shit. years later, he walked into a bookstore in Boulder, <laughs> Colorado and said, Hey, will you sign my new grateful dead book? It was my first book. Right. I've done 16. My new book, Retro Blakesburg, my 16th coffee table book. He said, will you sign this to Mark Gershman? I look up at him and I'm like, oh, my God. And he lived in Boulder and listens to all the same music and did all the same stuff that I did, even though we didn't see each other from when we were 10 years old. We definitely wow. drank from the same water fountain. Right. He drank the yeah. Kool-Aid. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and we're still friends to this day. And his mother is so classic. His mother says to the to the museum curator, you know, she worked in the archival department as a volunteer. She's retired, you know, in her in her yeah. 70s or 80s at this point. And she says, you know. My friend Mark's best friend from kindergarten is a really famous rock photographer. You should see about having an exhibit with them. And so, of course, you know, they called me up and I I got on a phone with them and they said, "Okay, um, you know, we'll consider this. Um, Put on your calendar to call us in a year. And so I called them a year later, which was this last January in the middle That's of COVID. Awesome. And they said, yeah, we want to do this. Awesome. And so I love we, it. So Thanks, Mrs. Gershman. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Jackie, Jackie Gershman, right? And, wow. uh, and uh, so thanks no to Jackie and Mark Gershman. Yep. And uh, uh, so, yeah, so the, so the exhibit is being printed right now and it's going to hang in about three weeks and it's going to open awesome. October 14th. So uh, we have a super, super cool poster that we made for it. I'll send it to you guys. You can post it on the on the link yes, or whatever. Thank and, you. And uh, it's open to the public. So please come out and check out my uh, 
museum, solo museum exhibition. Rock and roll is legit in a Smithsonian affiliate museum in New Jersey. <laughs> and, and the other um, thing that's, that's great awesome. is that it's, it's like, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from where I grew up. Right. So, yeah, you know, in sweet. high school, like we were juvenile delinquents. So, you know, like we left high school <laughs> with everybody thinking that we were like the class stoners and losers. And we followed the grateful dead. So like, remember when, remember when Nixon left the white house in disgrace and got on, on the helicopter and Dan rather sitting there, the end of the photos and he gives the peace on, you know, Nixon leaves the leaves office, um, uh, a national disgrace and dies a national hero. Right. So I, I left high school, uh, you know, the high school stoner disgrace and come back the national hero with the, with the museum exhibit in New Jersey. So. Perfect. <laughs> so perfect. Misfit man. power. Like Mickey said. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are, we are, we are misfits for misfits. I actually think that was Weir who said that, not Mickey. I think that was a weird oh. quote. We are misfits. We are misfits playing for misfits. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it. misfit power. That is definitely that is definitely us. And we continue to be because look at us. I go yeah. I go to I go to Dead and Co. and I see all the misfits. You know and and yeah. uh, but I, I do have to say that um, we are truly 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 lucky that we discovered this music, uh, yeah. discovered this experience, and you know for me it's been my entire life since a teenager. Yeah. I mean, I've been involved in this experience, this experiment and in, 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 in public assemblage through rock and roll now for, you know, 45 years. Right. And, uh, you know, my first, uh, experiences with the grateful dead were in 1977. Uh, that's when I started listening to records by the grateful dead. That's when I saw Jerry Garcia in 1977. That's when I saw the grateful dead for the first time in September of 77. Uh, Actually, wait. Oh, tomorrow's nine. Time. Wait, tomorrow's nine one. So, okay. So these next three days, these are all big anniversaries. So tomorrow, nine one, twenty twenty two, on nine one seventy nine, I saw the Grateful Dead in Rochester, New York, at Hollander Stadium. It was the second of four big Labor Day weekend concerts the Dead did on the East Coast. The next day, nine two, twenty twenty two was the first Grateful Dead concert that I ever photographed, which would be 9278 Giant Stadium. Uh, 93, September 3rd, 77, was English Town, my first Dead show. 96, 1980, was uh, Lewiston, Maine. Uh, technically the weekend after Labor Day, I believe, but still that same, it was the final show of the East Coast Summer Tour. Uh, legendary show. Uh, some of my most well-known photos of Deadheads dancing are from that show, nine six eighty, and there are, some of them are in the new book, Retro Blakesburg. And um, uh, that show is a bootleg tape, CD, archive, download, whatever. Uh, I asked David Lemieux a few years ago, why isn't Lewiston, Maine, nineteen eighty, a Dick's Picks or a Dave's Picks? And he mm. said, we do not have a soundboard tape of that show. There are only audience tapes, but it's oh, one of those wow. legendary, legendary oh, shows that, that everybody away. raves about. So every year when I post photos from that show on nine, six, which I'll probably do next week, um, everybody will start to comment about how incredible that show is. You can go and, and download it or listen to it on the archive, archive.org. And it's really, really great. So, so, there were four big shows Labor Day weekend, essentially uh, 9 1, 9 2, 9 3, 9 6, 77, 78, 79, 80. And I went to all four of those. And uh, so this is like <laughs> damn, a big anniversary, damn, damn. big anniversary for me. The 9 1, 79 show tomorrow, I shot that up in Rochester and I submitted those photos to a free weekly newspaper in New Jersey called the Aquarian Weekly. 
and they ran two of my photos and I got paid $7 and 50 cents for each photo for a total of a total of $15. And that was the first time I was published and paid money for my photography. Professional I was, photographer. I, I was 17 years old, you know, I mean, listen, That's awesome. dead tickets were only 10 bucks, you know? So yeah. like, like you got, yeah, you know, so yeah. that was a win. Not $15 was <laughs> yeah. a win. Cause I went and saw the dead at Madison square garden five days later. Right. You know, it's a couple so, six packs. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have so, people like that are in those photos, like that young contacting you going, Hey, that was me. I mean, I got to freak I, out when they see I themselves have, in these I books. I have people that are in those photos that are my, still my friends to this day. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, absolutely. That's I mean, like great. next week I'm going to my pal Dan Skinner's 65th birthday. We met on August 12th, 1979 at Red Rocks at a Grateful Dead concert. Wow. Um, so, nice. you know, he held the hoop at my wedding. We've been, you know, we've been roommates. We've lived together. Um, you know, that's how, and the, and, and, you know, Dan has never not been in my life. Right. But there are people that disappeared for a number of years and you know, what brought us all back yeah. together was, was Facebook. Um, you know, oh, in, yeah. in, in, uh, 2008, I published, I self-published a book called traveling on a high frequency. Um, and that book is named after people like you, OTL musicians who travel on a high frequency. And, uh, um, uh, it is like all you musicians. That's what I felt about you guys. You travel on this hot, like this different frequency, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Bob Weir, Jerry Garcia, Till Burbridge, the, you know, the list goes on and on. Right. And so, <laughs> so, no, seriously. Yeah, fuck, oh, fuck yeah. You were in the Allman Brothers okay. for 17 years, motherfucker. <laughs> it's just a little. Right. Little, I get it. I'm I get like, it. But I'm just saying, uh, like, Bob all of face was priceless. <laughs> all of you guys. And so, um, and so I got on this, I got on this new thing. It was new to us. It had been around for a few years already, but I got on this new thing called Facebook because I thought, oh, maybe I could reach people to market my new book, you know, I, and I think by the time the book came out, I had six or 700 friends on Facebook right now. I've got 90,000. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I started posting some of these old shots of deadheads from the late eighties and early eighties on Facebook in 2009, 2010. And this deadhead yeah. friend of mine named Tommy Rosen, he wrote an article, uh, in the Huffington post about how these photos were bringing all of these people who hadn't seen each other or talked to each other since Jerry died in 95 back together. Right. And at that oh, point it was wow. only, you know, 12, 15 years later. Right. But a lot of people, you know, they went yeah. off, they, they got jobs, God forbid. Right. They had family, yeah. they Their got whole you trajectory know, changed. Right. Yeah. Everything changed when Jerry died because, you know, even though fish was happening and then eventually widespread and string cheese, cause those bands have been around now for 30 years, you know, we were already a member of one cult, Right. And it was hard for us to be like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to quit this Jump cult because Jerry died and join another cult. Right. Like we didn't want to like it was hard for us to understand that. And listen, I love fish to pieces. I love their music. I go yeah. see them whenever I can. Um, and all of those bands, Jimmy Herring. I mean, come on, you're best friends with Jimmy. Jimmy's yeah. the greatest human being on the planet. Right. And not to mention probably one of the greatest guitar players on the planet. Um, and so all of that music turns us on. But at the time in 1995, when Jerry died, like, you know, I had my first kid when I, in 94, my second in 96. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and the museum exhibit I was talking about, my daughter 
helped curate that whole museum exhibit That's as so well. Cool. It was me, her, and the, yeah. the assistant curator at the museum. Uh, but Ricky was the main influence because she curated the book. So That's um, got to make you so proud, man. Yeah, it's really I beautiful. Mean, yeah. I mean, Ricky's just, Ricky's just crushing it, you know? That's so, awesome. Um, you know, it, it all comes full circle. But it, it's been a, a, uh, an incredible journey. And I have to say that I feel incredibly fortunate that I was born with that psychedelic strand of DNA. And this yeah. is the life that I chose and then I worked hard to become part of because you don't get to photograph the people that I fo have gotten to photograph by being a slacker, right? Like, you know, no, for me, it's, it's hard, hard fucking work. You know, I was, yeah, you know, and also part sun. of it for me is I was scared. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to go back to jail. Right. And I didn't want to be some guy selling insurance. Not that there's anything wrong That's with me. selling insurance. I didn't insurance. want to go back to go or to a straight job. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't I only want to have had one straight job for like a month or something, you know? Right. And like, that shit's fucked up, man. Yeah. It is, bro. <laughs> I was like, uh, no. Yeah. I have, I have way too much ADD for a straight job, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, you know, they didn't know how to diagnose that shit when we were young, but, um, uh, so, you know, yeah, for, we're lucky, for me, uh, I just worked, I took every single shitty $200 job yeah. that I could get because it paid my rent. 250. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> That's I, what we yeah. were trying to like, how do I get rid of these $50 gigs? I'm moving right. equipment. Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, I didn't want to have to go get a job. I wanted to, I wanted to be available so that if Rolling Stone magazine called me, I could be like, yeah, I can yeah. go do that. And you know I what? Go. That's what happened. That's yeah. what happened. My you anniversary, my 35th anniversary is coming up 11, 11, 87. I did my first paid assignment for Rolling Stone magazine. Wow. Uh, they hired me to go shoot a free U2 concert in downtown San Francisco uh, when they were filming Rattle and Hum. And, uh, and I went on to do 300 assignments for the magazine over the next 35 years. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so I, I was living hand to mouth you know, literally making a hundred dollars here, two hundred dollars here. Yeah, you paid uh, your dues, <laughs> scra scraping sure. by and and building a portfolio and building a body of work. And now I'm fortunate that a I was able to, you know, keep all of that stuff and not lose any of it, even the stuff yeah. going back to high school. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, I look at my body of work and a I'm incredibly proud of it. We should all be proud of the work that we do. Um, but also, I look at it as an important document of a time. That is, you know, a, 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 you know, forgotten space, a time of forgotten space, right? Because it's gone. We're, we're past it. And then they coming back. It's, it's evolving. Yeah. The wheel is turning. You can't slow it down. And I want to be there yeah. when that wheel turns to the next spin. And I want to be in Mexico with you and in, in January and Denico, yeah. because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, my, my grateful dead, uh, archive is not complete until Bob, yeah. Phil, Mickey, and Phil all stop playing music. You know, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm not saying when they're dead. I'm just saying when they officially retire and have st and stop playing music. Yeah. That's when my Grateful Dead archive ends. It didn't end with Jerry Garcia. You know, that was a yeah. chapter. I mean, look at this. We're yeah. we're at we're at year what, 27 of Jerry being gone? Is that right? Or is it 20, 95 to now? Is that 20? Wow. Yeah. 27 wow. years. Okay. So all of these guys, wow. Bob, Phil, Mickey, Billy, all of them are this close away from a 30 year career post Jerry. Post Jerry. Okay. That's, yeah. I mean, how many bands stay together 30 years? Right. Man? And the Grateful Dead was 30 years. 30 so years all of them, death. I mean, the music that wow. Billy and has been making with yeah. his band, what Phil does, what Mickey has been doing, Wolf Planet Bros, Drum, yeah. 
you know, yeah. Wolf Bros, Rat Dog, <laughs> Dead and Co. All of this stuff right. is is so important to our history as deadheads. Yeah. Right. And uh, and you're yeah. part of it. Like, you know, you you know, you're the only guy. You are the only guy that has been in the Almond Brothers and the Dead, O'Teal. You span both of uh, those worlds now. There's actually two others. Oh, Jimmy Herring. And Warren Haynes. And Warren Haynes. Right. Okay. It's like the just the three of us, That's, right. which You're is right. so weird because right. those are my old old time bros. Like, right. it's gonna be coming up on forty right. years, you know, <laughs> yeah. from the south. Yeah, from I the met, south. It's so like met, what you were saying about the Almond Brothers and the Dead. It's isn't it yeah. weird that coming out of the south and the Almond Brothers were the only three that played in both bands. Right, it's, it's something. It's, it's weird. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about Jimmy and 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 Warren there in that moment. But yes, of course you're right. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and we and, actually all played together. It was a concert for Obama, Hershey Park, the Dead, and the Almond Brothers. I they was hadn't there. played together since. Yep, I for sure. And that was, that was crazy. If I could, you know, looking back on that now, you know, I couldn't have really. Yeah. All that Obama understood. stuff came from Brian Lesh, Phil's son. He was the one who was, uh, oh. uh, he was volunteering for Obama. I think he was in college still at Princeton and, uh, and, and, and Pennsylvania was a big battleground state. Mm-hmm. And so they decided yep. to do it at state college. And, uh, Hershey, there's, a, there's a little video of Obama floating around out there where he's on air force one, I believe, or, or oh, whatever, yeah. That's right. where he, where he gives a shout out to, to Brian Lesh and the dead and the almonds for, for stepping up and helping him out. There's like the, that video exists. It's, a, it's so, amazing. Yeah. So, that night was something it's like, I, I just remember it. It was a historic night. I was so I was young then and I I wasn't aware of like, oh, this is really big. Like that's one of the good things about getting older, right, Jay? You're like, you know it. You're like, oh shit, this is a I'm glad Jay's photographing this because you know tour. Dude, that last Den Company tour was like that. I was like, this something is happening. Yeah, you big. said that quite a bit during this yeah. tour. Yeah. Yeah. And people were so worried it was gonna be the last. Even my wife, I was like, You can't play shows that good. Right. And yeah. then it just stopped. Yeah. I'm just I, sorry. I, I had some really great email exchanges with John Mayer about how he was feeling. And, and I mean, he was just saying some really great stuff about his place in the script and where he was and how happy he was. And and yeah. uh, you know, it was very, very cool. I, I love John. I mean, you know, he wrote the forward for my Jerry Garcia book. Uh yeah. really interesting. You know, that book came out three years ago. So you can find all my books on my website, blakesburg.com yes. or rockoutbooks.com. Yeah, either Thank way. You. But uh, but you know, John wrote the I asked John to write the wrote the forward. And you know, you know how articulate John is. John is yeah. a smart, smart, smart man. Like his beyond. mom was an English teacher. And his dad, they were both like <laughs> yeah, academics, you super. know. Like John is so smart. And he wrote the forward, which is brilliant. And about, I don't know, four weeks ago, six weeks ago. Somebody posted the forward on on social media and it went viral again three years later. Nice. And it blew up the internet because Good people were like, for my you know, new book. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually great. I mean, people actually, I actually, all of a sudden there was a spike Beautiful. in sales on the Jerry Garcia book. And nice. I'm like, I'm like, how did you people not know this book has been out for three years? And John wrote this three years ago, but, uh, um, you know, That's John, John's thoughts and feelings and energy with Denico is, is unreal. And, and, uh, yeah. I agree. I just think this band is just really on fire and, uh, I think that it's we're nice all- when it all comes together and this last tour 
it just all came together and it wouldn't stop. And that's a gift, man. We got to celebrate when that happens. And I'm Absolutely. so glad you were there. Yeah. Clicking. Yeah. Cause we don't know when our last show was going to be. We know this from all the people that have passed. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you think, wow, I never realized that was right. the last time I was ever going to photograph. Yeah, and age has nothing to do with it. And this right. no, not at all. hundred percent. No. I mean, you know, look at Chris Cornell from Soundgarden, you know, and his, and, and his, and his fifties. And, you know, when I photographed Garcia at shoreline in June of 95, like I didn't know that, that was going to be the last time I would, yeah. would see Jerry Garcia. You know, you yeah. just, nobody knows, you know, David Taylor Hawkins, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on. I so mean, how much older am I than Jerry? I think about that a lot. Right. Like I he just was, turned 58, you know, yeah. it's like, you're five years older than when he died and, and you look 20 <laughs> and you look 25 years younger. Well, a lot of it is because, you know, when you when you've been out on the road with the Almond Brothers since you're 32, you know, about 10 years in, I looked at it, I was like, that's going to be you if you don't change from what you're doing. Like I could already see it. Right. Uh-huh. So yeah. I, I literally. Yeah. Like I turned the aircraft carrier because it's like, man. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you see Bob out there. Bob ain't messing around, man. No. He's, yeah. like, he's, he's like, uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. I ain't going out like that, man. You know? Yeah. So. No, and Bob is Bob is serious about his workouts. That's for sure. Absolutely. I was, you know? I, was, I was up at his house a few months ago. I was uh, filming him for a documentary project I'm working on. And he has all of his gear set up in the driveway. And he showed me all of his routines. He said, videotape yeah. these, Jay, Jay. Videotape them so you can do them, you know? Yes. They're great, nice. great for your back, you know, and I was like, yeah, he, got, he, he had me do one. That's like, cause it was for my back. Oh man, it was a challenge. He said, yeah, it's going to take you a minute. I was like, look at this old motherfucker. There was a video of him at the gorge with this hammer and he was just yeah. like slamming yeah. down. That's, that's what he does. He swings that hammer. It's like, yeah, he was telling me about the hammers and told me where to get it. And, the, and uh, this one place, uh, I don't remember where it is now. I got to probably, if I've got, I, but you know, but that stuff feels really good because it stretches all of your muscles and I carry so much gear, which is why I was asking about it. I'm like, what can yeah. I do to stretch? Because I carry all this gear and that's when he showed me a couple of his moves there on his, well, his what, device. 60, yeah. 60 plus years right or however many now at this point of carrying that strap weight yeah. mm-hmm. like that's got to do such nerve da- and muscle damage and all that I, yeah. mean, I mean my back last year right from the it just caught up with eventually a year of doing yoga me. and look yeah. at him you're yeah. dancing around and like a nut this year yeah. I know. Wow, Actually, it's true. There was a whole year. Too. There was a whole year in there, OTL, where you didn't move the way you were moving back a couple of years oh, ago. And I don't realize how much pain you're in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me sitting down like, oh, yeah. And you got but DDT you don't yoga realize, it's and gradual. fixed you right up. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden I was like, OK, this has got to stop. You know, I went and got the MRI. But all that to say, Jay, thank you for choosing life. Thank you for being in for the long haul. You know, it. you have to be intentional about getting old in this business. Yeah. Like there's very, you know, or have great doctors like Keith Richards. The whole time. <laughs> but, you know, like <laughs> the rest of us have to like yeah. be intentional about it. And I, it, it does make me feel nostalgic in that best way to like, reminisce with you about old time, you know, like the whole journey, yeah. like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a good lucky ride. to be here. 
Yeah. yeah. And it's and not over yet. The ride's not over yet. We still, got, to that. No. We, we still, we still got a lot, a lot left in us. You know, I know you got a lot of music left in you and, and I just love what you're doing with your bands. I love, uh, Thank I love you. how solid the bands are you're putting together and the guys you're playing with, you know, of course it was, it, it seemed like it was going in a, a really solid direction with Neil Casal. And of course the anniversary oh, yeah. of his passing was just yeah. a few days ago. I never yeah. realized until this year that his, your birthday and his passing were a day apart from each other. Yeah. Uh, I got the yeah. text the day after my birth. Cause that was his last show. It's with yeah. me. Yeah, I know. I, I was there, <laughs> I photographed it and, and, uh, I had dinner with Neil that night. And so listen, everybody picture, I think you took it. The picture of, of Nigel and him, me, him and Nigel on the couch. No, I didn't in the take dressing that room. I, um, oh, I was in the dressing room with you guys, but I don't think I have one with Nigel in it. He's just la he's got this big smile and we were talking about plans for the next year. Right. And Nigel was just like all amped up on birthday cake. He didn't eat anything but sweets. <laughs> right. And we're just laughing. And I just the next day, you know, I saw that picture. I was like, how could I possibly? There's no way we could have known. Right. Right. There's no way we could have. Well, he was so all, grateful to play with Bob and stuff. And yeah, that was know, a great that was, was a great set. Dwayne Bett sat in, you know, and Dwayne yeah. was grateful to meet Neil that day. You know, yeah. let's just all take a minute to just, you know, keep an eye on all our friends and look for yes. signs and, and, and stay healthy and, yeah, and help, help people that you see um, that, that are struggling, you know, and, and anybody who is struggling, make sure you reach out. There's resources, there's backline, um, there's your friends, yes. uh, just, you know, don't be afraid to reach out because, uh, those of us who are still left standing after you decide to check out, um, we hurt a lot. We hurt a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we still hurt because of Neil and uh jeff austin and you know other people that have have yeah. done that on their own so and, many. Uh, and so we don't many. we don't we don't like that we don't want that we don't want to see that uh we want to we want to help you and so anybody and you gotta be you gotta be intentional about reach because sometimes you don't know if someone's struggling i didn't know neil was struggling but you know yeah. me i'm such a like let's hug do we need to talk? You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm here for it. Just like be there, be intentional about letting people know, like you can reach out to me. Like I'm one of those people you can reach out to, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, Cause when you don't know they're struggling, hopefully you planted enough seeds in there right? that they, you know, it may just be that one little thing and they yeah, do just it. assume everyone's you know? struggling and be kind yeah exactly right yeah. exactly yeah. and uh we are we're, right. it's, we're, ever ever since kofi passed away uh, you know he was 57 and uh, so i think every time something really cool happens like kavi just learned to swim yes the couple days ago like she just nice. started yeah we've been waiting for that moment and I'm just like, I'm glad I live long enough to see this moment. Yeah, I'm glad right. I live long enough to see this moment. I'm glad I didn't die. And I, I feel that way at 110, I'm sure. Be like, wow. So that happened. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Glad I saw that. You yeah. Know, so. Yeah. I want to I hit Thank you for documenting those moments. Too. Yeah, yeah, man, really. Thank sure. you so much. Yeah, we <laughs> so got some, excited we have, for we your some tour. good ones. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Again, thank I'll just you. remind Come everybody. Come soon, please. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my, my museum exhibit, the Morris museum opens October 14th, my new book, retro Blakesburg, you can get it on Amazon and bookstores, but also if you want to get a signed copy directly from me, just go to blakesburg.com or rockoutbooks.com. Those are my websites. And, uh, uh, OTL give my love to Jess and Kavi and, and sure. uh, Nigel and hugs Absolutely. to everybody. And, uh, Next time I'm down your way, I'll come over and visit yes. again. Um, I know you're going to Nashville's the further south. You're going yeah, no, south you know, 
Florida. Come on. But my dad lives in my dad lives yeah, in Boca, so he's close by to you guys in South Florida. So uh, when I, I get go to see, see you, yeah, when I see my family, I'll come over and say hi. And uh, Mike, look forward to seeing you sometime soon and uh, love you guys. And thank you so much. Um, Oh, you know what? Real quick. I want to say I've always loved the name comes a time for your podcast because my very first book that I ever published is called between the dark and light, which is a lyric from comes a time. So uh, it has special, special place in my heart because uh, I love that. I love that song. I can, and I know you sing it OTL. Um, you know, it was always yeah. a special, I mean, you know, it's a Jerry Garcia band song. It's on a, it's on reflections, yeah. yep. but it's a grateful dead song because that's where we all know it from. And it was always, always a beautiful, rare, uh, ballad in that slot there at the end of the yeah. show. And when we got a comes a time, we really cherished that we really cherished the China dolls and, and to lay me downs. And I know those are all the songs you get to sing, which is just fabulous. So, uh, we love that. And we love when they get broken out, uh, when you're up on stage. So, thank uh, you, man. We'll we love you, you man. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, peace out everybody. All right, man. Bless you. Osiris. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.